Well, hey everyone, and welcome to the Living With Power Hope podcast. As usual, I'm your host. My name is Lena Epichamra, and I practice emergency medicine in my free time, but here I am your doctor of hope. I am so glad you're here. Every couple of weeks on this show, as you know, I invite a friend to join me and we talk about hope. We talk about how we're tempted to lose our hope and how we get it back and how to keep it for good. I hope you're ready for today's conversation. I am pretty excited about it. This has been something that I've tried to pay more more attention to in my life in the past couple of years. And uh, we're going to talk about hope for racial reconciliation in the church. And that sounds like a mouthful, but it's uh, something that so many of us uh, care about. And I'm telling you, there is no better person to talk about it than the person that I have here today. My guest is the Director of Community Outreach at the ERLC, that is the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which if you follow social media in any way, you've probably heard of Russell Moore, that's his gig. And uh, Trillia Newbell is my guest, she's amazing. She is the author of a number of books, uh, most recently a children's book called God's Very Good Idea, which if you have kids, you if, even if you don't have kids, you should get this book, it looks amazing. And I'm probably gonna do a giveaway, so sit tight here, we're gonna talk more about it. Uh, but some of her other books are um, Enjoy, Finding the Freedom to Delight Daily in God's Good Gifts. And by the way, Trulia, we'll get to that in a minute, but the cover of that book is amazing. Oh, and <laughs> Fear and Faith, of course, and United, your book on uh, unity in the church captured by God's vision for diversity. Um, I met Trulia a couple years ago, and actually it's been a while, maybe a little longer than that. It's been been a it has been, I know, it's crazy how time flies. But she's just been a great speaker and voice in the it's a church and she's written for Desiring God, True Women, Christianity Today, The Gospel Coalition. She lives in Nashville, married to her best friend, Thurn, which I know she's going to tell us more about here in a moment. So Trulia, enough talking. Let's talk to you and see what uh, is going on in your life these days. Uh, thank you. Well, um, I, I, I want to, before we start talking about me, I, I thought it was hilarious that you said you did uh, emergency medicine on, in your free time. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, it's been my career in medicine has taken a variety of shapes and forms. And so that's my background is pediatric ER. And uh, of course, I uh, now in the last few months, the Lord has really transitioned that really. I don't know if you knew that. I'm doing more telemedicine now. So uh, what is I'm it on called? staff at the hospital, but I, I take calls by phone. Oh, so, and, okay. Yeah, and I'm actually licensed in Nashville. So if your kids are ever sick, or actually I, I do adult medicine too. So if you ever have uh, any healthcare needs, if you're listening, I might have taken care of you before. It's oh, great. that's so great. Well, yeah. well, I um, I did know that you were a medical doctor, but um, I just thought it was so funny that you did it in your free time, <laughs> in the spare time that you had. But um, so, yes, I have been writing and speaking and your your encouragement was so kind. It's been a, a real joy to uh, serve in this way in the local church and beyond. And um, so I'm grateful. Well, and we're going to get to know you a bit more here in, in the next half hour. But um, tell us a little. I heard your interview at the Gospel Coalition and sort of bring us up to speed. You're doing a lot now, by God's grace. And I, I just loved hearing sort of that that transition from you started off writing a blog right and how did you move into the ERLC like sort of walk us through how you started getting engaged at the level you're at right now I yeah I mean I started writing a blog and okay it really let me start from the beginning I have a degree in political science got into law school and thought I would be going into law and then I spent a year just 
I deferred my enrollment, which means that I said, yeah, I might go to a couple of places, but let me wait. (laughs) And during that deferment, I started a master's in public administration. During that time, it became continually clear that my heart was in ministry and I wanted to do it full time. And so I decided to start um, do an internship at my church and start sharing the gospel on a college campus. And then from there, I uh, worked from a, for a couple of ministries and I got married, have a, had a baby and started writing for the Knoxville News Sentinel, which was my local paper. And after writing at my local paper for a little while, I, I just missed getting to, I, I, I was obviously still doing ministry, but I wasn't doing it to the extent that um, I was when I was actually an intern. So I wanted to just see if I could write from my Christian perspective. And I wrote a column for my city. And after that, I knew I just, this is, I want to, make, I want to go back into ministry work. And, um, and so I started a blog and then from there it was kind of a whirlwind. So I started a blog and then I got contacted by an agent and some publisher uh, publishers because I had hit a nerve, I think with my, one of my first, um, blog posts and from there, had you, had you written about race by chance? Yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I was writing about the African-American experience in predominantly white places and specifically the local church. Well, and this and, was a few years ago, Trillia, right? Just the time, because a lot has happened in the last few years. Yeah. It was more like f- six years ago. Wow. Okay. But yeah, it's amazing how time flies, but a lot has happened in the last few years. And then from there, um, I about I've been working at the URL. It was maybe six or seven years ago. Wow, because I've been working at the URLC for five years. So day after you you wrote that first book of yours, what? Well, the, the, is that the book that you're talking about? The United book came out of that experience at the blog, and eventually you moved over to the URLC. Yes, and but how I'm did that, still- like you just got a call one day, like you were sort of like mining. What did you think God had in store for you? Okay, absolutely. That was really what happened. I got a call from Philip Bethencourt, who is the vice president of the ERLC, and he he offered me a job, and I was like, "What?" And I just was shocked and really needed to pray about it. And he said, "Take your time, pray." But I thought, okay, the the job was to be a consultant for women's initiatives, and I thought, I can. This is something I want to do. Um, I'd love to serve in. I'm frightened because I feel like I'm out of my league, but I'm not going to allow that fear to Mm. keep me from, from saying yes, because it wasn't something that was, um, out of my will health. It wasn't like asking me to be a medical doctor. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But now, but now. So you started off like with this interest in, in the woman's area, but like, are you doing that still today or did you move over to do oh, it? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. For the ERLC? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. So, so now um, they gave me a, a different title because I'm so much broader. And even when, even when I was doing consultant for women's initiatives, I was doing 
quite a few other things. I was just broader. And so instead of, um, yeah, so, so I, I do think through, um, ways to resource the church regarding women and women's initiatives, but I also do other things, um, well, and, and, and one of your big, I mean, I really want to kind of segue to sort of, I want to talk about race. And I and, and so, because this has really been kind of a growing conversation in the church, probably nowhere near as fast as it should be. But sort of, let's kind of back up a bit and talk even about like when you wrote that blog. Now, you're, tell us about like your experience as, I mean, maybe go over that, like what you wrote about early on. What's your experience as a black woman been in the white church? Because And how did you end up in a white church versus like, say, go into a black church? How did that all flow out of your life? Yeah. Okay. So I didn't become a Christian until I was 22. Mm. Yeah. So when I was 22, a white female, or when I was 19, a, a female, she shared the gospel with me. It took a few years for me to submit my life to the Lord. And I just went to her church. And so it was, I didn't grow up in church. I was exposed to various churches, but yeah, I didn't grow up. And so in the South? That, that was in, in Tennessee. Yeah, in Tennessee. Did and you so, feel, how did you feel in in the church when you first did that? Was that a filter that well, crossed your mind? Like not at at first. I, I, I was so enamored with Jesus <laughs> that I couldn't. It didn't even matter that there were only a few. I couldn't even think about anything else. I really was wrecked, <laughs> and I mean, my entire worldview changed. God transformed. I mean, it was a radical transformation. So, so I was, all I wanted to know was more about him. I was so, I wanted to read my Bible and read about theology. And that is the only thing that was really, I was so taken captive. Yeah. And then um, after, you know, after you settle down and you realize, oh, this is my family, you look around and you're like, oh, Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of us, but but I immediately could, did connect with the few black families that were there. So it wasn't I, what I didn't feel this complete isolation, um, because there were families there. Now was, there were times. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, like, was it a typical, like, so what typical evangelical white church with, like, you know. 90% white, 10%, would that be, would you say the demographic at the time of that church? Like 9% other, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think we, you don't think about that, you know, like as a white Christian, you just kind of miss, you don't, you don't have that filter in a way so that it's hard to sometimes put yourself in that place, but you, you really feel like a minority. Like I don't know how to try to. I'll explain it. Yeah. yeah. So I was out of maybe a hundred, we had say maybe 50 college students and I was typically the only one or two. Wow. Yeah. Um, African-Americans. Okay. So take it into the church and we did have more, more, we would have different pockets of families and, but yet still that I can, I can actually see them right now and count them. Wow. So and then our church got to about 800 people. So I would say it was less than 9%, but I can't, I don't know because I'm not, yeah, I'm on math. I don't even know, but it was 
not, I think because I can actually name every single (laughs) African-American there, that probably is a good indication that there just weren't a lot. But that's a problem. Well, it didn't hit me. I think I didn't think to myself, man, it's a problem as much as I thought to myself, wow, we, that we probably can work to make changes. So, so I, I don't think I, I thought, oh, we're in sin or this is, but, but, and, and I know the pastor had such a heart for diversity. So I did, I just think, um, yeah, I really think was there a cross down like an evangelical church for the black folks? Is that how it worked? Like, how did it, why did you, have, why do you think even now I think about the way churches lay out? Why do you think that's the, still the, the, I find that a lot of churches still tend to fall that way with a few exceptions. Well, I think if you look at our history, we were birthed on that division. Hmm. So uh, we were never, we weren't worshiping together and uh, slaves would have their own worship services or have to sit in the back. So you know, so they they started their own. Mm-hmm. And and so we need to remember our wh- where our roots in the United States come from. And 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 I think neighborhoods being divided and uh so 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 I think a lot of it has to do with our history in the United States um being born out of division which just continue to carry on. Well, I mean, Jim Crow law, think about this. It's only 50 years or so. Um, And so, hi. So we, my husband and I couldn't, I'm I'm married to a white male. Did you meet him at church? uh, No, but we couldn't have even been married if we were together uh, in this, it's in 1968, nine, I think it was seven. It was seventy nine or seventy eight when the case, when um, interracial marriage was legalized in the U.S. <laughs> have you ever felt discriminated against in the context of the church? In that, like, have you ever felt uncomfortable being married to a white man? I mean, how did? How, I mean, tell me, t- you know, walk us through some of your pain a little, if it, if that's okay. It is okay. No, I, not not being married. Have I felt felt any discrimination in the church? My husband and I have experienced some looks and different things, but not in the church. My pain in the church would have been feeling a little alien, Mm. people asking questions about my hair or my skin, if it burned, just feeling like I'm a subhuman, like I'm not normal. Um, And my pain in the church would be related to feeling like sometimes I would have to submit to or assimilate to the culture because, and, and I mean, from music to just various things, I just, I just, I would have to submit to it. Right. And so, and so that could be hard, but so I would say sometimes culture or often culture, but, and sometimes people would say just ignorant things, but things that I don't think they were intentionally trying to hurt me, but they were hurtful. And then worrying or if I were going to get married, if had I chosen. Yeah, I just was, it was kind of a, well, I'm making a choice to be in this predominantly white church. I don't know what the future can hold in this predominantly white church. And so um, for marriage, yeah. So 
So those are just a few of the yeah the background the ways that went. well and and just it was it was I can absolutely relate to people but I couldn't there was just it it was hard for people to fully understand some of the things that I would be questioning so for a long time I never said anything about them and yeah. I remember yeah I, and again I, I think well and a lot of people have pol- politicized sort of the well why is more being said about this is it because you know, if a certain time or a certain, you know, presidency and this and that. But really, it's none of that. I think it's God's grace trying to bring this conversation to the surface because I think there is a problem. And I've tried to sort of even like what, one thing you mentioned about like people asking about your hair or things like that. I've read a lot of threads, I feel, on social media written by by African-American people and like I, and they talk about that. And it's funny. I just think sometimes like is it a lack of like, do you think I mean, I, I'm going to say it, and I'm Lebanese. So, OK, I'm sort of like. I don't understand maybe as to the deep extent the history in this country because I came at 15, though I think living here for the past 30 years does give me some understanding. But but so, so I think, you know, if there's any ignorance here, just excuse it on account of what she's just a lab, you know. But like, do you just think like white people just don't know? You know, like, are they asking from innocence or like, how do you educate a person in what not to say other than yeah. listening, hearing, reading? Yeah. Okay. I think, I think, yes, I think there's ignorance, which I mentioned before, that they they don't know. And so people ask curious questions, but I do think there needs to be teaching about, there is a feeling that when you ask questions that about things like, does your skin burn? It can almost make someone feel subhuman. So you, you have to ask yourself, okay, I have questions about their culture and maybe about their life experience, but are there some things that I'm asking that strips them from the, their, yeah. that they are also made in the image of God, that they, that they are, of course, most people maybe aren't thinking that deeply, but they need to, we need to think, okay, is this a question that, will help me understand culture and relate to them better? Or is it something that is, can make them feel lesser than? And so, or, or, or not lesser than, it's just subbed, like we're a different species. And so that to me, I think you've got to really be slow to speak and think and thoughtful. Think about what you're going to say, why you're asking it, um, is it, could it be harmful? I, I, we don't need to walk around on eggshells, but I do think, you know, we need to be wise and wisdom sometimes is keeping our mouth shut. And, and then at, we can ask questions that are, um, curious questions, but, but we have to just be really careful in, in the way that we question someone. I mean, I, I don't know anything about Lebanon. I wish I did, but if I came up to you and it was like, oh, so that must mean that you were part of some kind of yeah. war or, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, on a side note, so so just to kind of get a little even deeper in this conversation, because the last five years, I would say, have been hard in the United States, five, six years, something like that. And and the church has, has been guilty in many ways. And, you know, I see pockets of hope and, and I sort of want to lean into that. But first to... Tr- talk for a couple of minutes maybe on 
sort of your experience with that. Like there's been some pretty public, you know, situations that have been recorded on social media and where clearly there's been yeah. wrong. Well, think about Charlottesville. Yes. Um, and those riots and various shootings. Yep. What Minnesota, is that? Florida. I mean, you can just go down the list of of the times where it's been like like there's it's clear what's right and wrong, and yet the church has sort of been passive as a whole, you know. And Christians, even besides just just thinking generally about the church, you know, if not passive, even taking the wrong side, and it's become a side thing, you know, is it the cops or is it the victims, and on and on. And so, how has that hurt as a as a black Christian woman? I mean, how have you thought? How have you survived the last few years with this? I think what's been hard is to see people so clearly, and I'm going to be frankly, arrogantly speak when they should be mourning with their neighbor. And so I, I, that has been really hard for me just to, to, to see how, how deeply divided we really are. Yes, yes. We, there is hope. And, and we're going to talk about that, but we are deeply, deeply divided. And it has been something that is I have a puppy, so That's excuse good. the barks. Yeah. <laughs> it has been something that has been a, a surprise in that you would just hope that we could slow down and lo- try to love our neighbor, as in take the skin off our bodies and put the skin of our neighbors on and try to engage fully with what's going on rather than just give our opinions. And so that has been something that's, I think, going to be harmful for many years to come. I think we have a lot of work to do well, in reconciling in relationships. And I think we lost, I think, I, I, honestly, Trillia, I don't think I've been surprised by the way the church has responded in a sense, Christianity, whatever you want to call it, evangelicalism. In a sense, sadly, I wish I could tell you I was shocked, but I feel grieved that the lost opportunity to shine for Christ. I mean, we've lost our ability to speak any hope. And I mean, I watch people that I work with that don't know Jesus that have a better sense of what's right and what's wrong um, than what I've watched in the church. That is an unfortunate but absolutely true statement. I think that it has that this season has displayed a lot of God's common grace among all people, that there are people who don't know Jesus, who are able to love their neighbor. And and I, I just think, man, has it revealed our stubborn, arrogant, prideful, self-righteous hearts. And we need a revival Mm -hmm. in our soul so that we can pursue the Lord and one another. I do think that this has hurt our witness in ways that we will be fighting against for a very long time. But I also think that God, I mean, God's going to build his church. Mm -hmm. So with every thing that looks like, oh man, the walls are falling down. Jesus is still on the throne. So I I am not hopeless about this. I have been hurt. It's been sad. It's been revealing. It's been revealing even in my own heart. But I'm not hopeless because we do have a hope and he's living yeah. and he's active and he's working. And so it's just well, and, and a hard road. This is a great segue in that 
I mean, this is exactly the crisis has a way of also creating opportunity. And I think one of the things that I've seen specifically the ERLC do is really, and you know, other bodies, but you, I've watched you guys just do this so well. And, and I think this is where I want to kind of talk about the hope. Like, you know, my, you know, my dream would be to have this 100% diverse church where you're not like walking in going, oh, this is clearly a black or clearly a white or a clearly a Korean church or whatever, but where really all of the people from all nations are, 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 you know, in all races and all, you know, color are, are mixed in the church. Now we are a long ways from there, but in the meantime, you guys have done some initiatives and you've been able to speak into, um, and I say you guys, I mean, I want to, you to tell us what you've been able to do as a result of the tensions that have been ongoing in the last few years? Yeah, that's a great question. So the ERLC, if you're talking about y'all, that's who I'm assuming you're talking about. The ERLC has, um, yes, we've provided resources as part of our Gospel for Life series. We provided a- By the way, for many topics. Yes. Um, One of them is on racial reconciliation. And then we did MLK 50. Well, well, even before that, we had a a conference on the gospel and racial reconciliation. And then we did MLK 50, which was this last year. Oh, and oh my goodness, I, we were shocked by tell us about that. I watched rest- it on social media. Yeah, tell us a bit of the highlights there. First of all, the speakers from Dr. Moore to Charlie Dates to Karen Ellis. I mean, they were really right. phenomenal. Yeah, and they, but that, so that's the one aspect and everyone was so honest. So that was very helpful. I think it's helpful in this conversation that we have honest conversations, but what was remarkable is I think a million people or something tuned in. People were from all over the world were looking at that, which I, we were not anticipating. <laughs> that's awesome. And um, yeah. And so the response we, I think over 20,000 people signed up um, for the webcam and it was just a lot of a lot. And so what we thought would just be a useful and helpful tool really turned into something magnificent. And then there were scholarships given away. And so there's a lot that we have done and are still doing. So we are still working on um, different resources for the church and, and different different things that we can do to help equip people. Because a lot of the things that we are talking about is equipping. And I say this all the time, but proximity changes everything. And if we can, if people can learn, but also learn how to build relationships with those who are not like them, I I really believe that this conversation can be transformed, that God can use and change change it. Well, and and, and tell us, let's, um, what would you say, this is maybe going to be a little tough, but what would you say to the person who's struggling with this conversation right now? Maybe listening in and is going, don't agree, this is all political, you know, that voice. In grace, like, what would you tell them in love? Like, what are some ways that, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, most people who would listen to the whole podcast have some interest in the gospel. I think, you know, most of the people who, who are tuned in, but some might not be, but now, like I said before, it's more <laughs> Christian. You know, there's a fringe of people who call themselves Christians who might be struggling with this. Like, how would you minister to them even yeah. in these moments? Well, I would say, um, okay, to you who, if you're listening and you're thinking, man, just shut up with all that race talk. 
I would just start in Genesis 1, that God created all people, male and female, and he created them in his image. He He created everyone in the Imago Dei um, so that we could reflect him and glorify him. And he gave us a multi-ethnic ministry, but before he did that, Jesus died and he died for every tribe, tongue, and nation, anyone who would believe. So God doesn't discriminate against ethnicities, both in his creation and his salvation. He also, Jesus, he told the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And then in Ephesians 2, we see the veil of hostility will be broken down in the body of Jesus Christ. In Acts, we see the apostles being spread out all over to share the gospel. And then in Revelations, we know that we're going to be worshiping together, every tribe, tongue, and nation. God could have gotten rid of that, but he didn't. He chose He chose to keep it in there. So I think if we really just open our Bibles and, and pause and look and see, I think we'll see God making a people for himself, for his glory of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And what does he call us to do? He calls us to love one another. So our call is not to fully understand. It's not to embrace every idea. It's to love. And so for you and for me and for all of us, we have to ask ourselves, is our attitude, is our way that we treat our neighbor, is it loving? And what Jesus says is that people will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. It is evident. And the scriptures say that those who do not love do not know God. And so it is it is evidence of the work in the spirit in our lives. So we've got to ask God to transform our hearts so that we love him and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And that must be our motivation as we press into these conversations that we may not understand, but we don't have to understand because we don't, we're not called to. Like I found that when you're like a lot of people might have some fears in terms of understanding a different culture. I see that in traveling a lot. It doesn't even have to do with race. Just it's the other, you know, we're so uncomfortable with anybody who's boy, I, you know, I, when I go in the deep South, sometimes you, you know, the whole culture is so different. It's like, takes you, you have to acclimate or any other, you know, you place yeah. like the easiest way to overcome that fear. Cause I think so much is fear, fear. Like, you know, people talk about, you know, being in a setting where they maybe had, had a bad experience and, and, and regard, again, not to do with black or white or, but you just have these fears in your heart. And the easiest way to overcome those I found is to get to know those people. There's not those people like, like when I used to think, you know, a room full of, you know, deep Muslims would freak me out until I went and did clinics with all 99% Muslim people. And it's like, they're just like us. They're the same. They have the same fears. They're the same jokes. They're just exactly the same. And, um, and, and I think that that's one easy way to break that. Well, now what would you tell the person who, on the contrary, is listening and going, dude, I hate the racial tensions in my church. I want it to change. I want more mixed, you know, people from all races. How do we change that? What can we do practically as a person who might not be working for an organization like the ERLC, but just is dying to do something? What are simple things they can do? I think simple things is to step outside your door and to invite people in. Um, That's really simple is to invite people into your dinner, to your table. If you're in a mostly homogenous area, that's going to take a little bit more effort. It might be just learning about history, learning about people. 
But if, if it's in your church, you can invite people to come. So I, that's, I think, one thing. It's just to, so easy, but to reach it's so it. true, right? It's so it's so easy, but it's it's also this is I think what is quite intimidating for people is to press into relationships and start to build. Yeah, well, and so I, and that I th- might not even be a. Like that's hard for Americans now in 2018 because we've just become so like in a rush and Busy. isolation. And, yep. Yeah. So it's but that's the gospel, isn't it? Well, um, it is a call sure. of the gospel for sure. 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 We yeah, if if we are to go and make disciples of all nations, we can't disciple if we're not talking to people. So we've got to get out. We have to go and yeah. um and and. We have to open our doors. So I think that is evaluating how we spend our time, evaluating what we do. Yeah. And making sure that we're making ourselves available for. Yeah. um, And and so what would you tell also, we've covered sort of the angry white person, the, you know, the eager white person. What about the hurt black person who might be listening? What would you tell them? I kind of love how you say people in my life who are African Americans who are who are enduring in white churches and always sort of wondering why am I doing this? Do they stay? Do they find a community of more, you know, people like them? You know, what do they do? What do how do you encourage them? Okay, well, this question I actually do get a lot in private, so I'll get emailed a lot, Um, and, and and it's really up to them. So if for me, I think. For now, it's worth it to persevere. I'm not, I love my church, so I'm grateful for that. But everyone isn't called to necessarily wait for change or be the change you hope to see or whatever you want to call it. Not everyone is called called to do that. Sometimes you just have to leave if that means it's going to put you in a better place to serve in your heart. And, And I think that's okay. I think we need to... Just be okay with that. I do think more time than not, we could be called to persevere. I I do think we could be called to try to bring people in. So I think it's just a matter of evaluating and and not feeling any any pressure, but thinking, okay, am I am I loved here? Am I able to serve here? Is the is the preaching um, serving and preaching of the God's word? Am I getting the gospel here? Is it a lack of care or, or are they actually trying to change things? So I think these are the right questions you just have to ask. And if you're, if you're asking those questions, then I think you, yeah. Is it a good thing to speak to the leaders in the church about some of the tensions or is it a more aggravating spot to be in where you feel like, well, now I've told them and they still don't, nothing's changing. You know, is it better to approach like the leaders and talk about the stresses you're feeling if you're in a church where you're on the outside. I have. Yeah. I did. Yeah. One of the first, but it was because my, <laughs> my pastor was just so kind to ask me. He asked me what I thought and how I felt and I shared. And so, so for me, I, I do think uh, it was just good and helpful to ask questions that, um, that were, or to, to be honest. And, and so, so one of the many reasons I am content at my church is because my pastor has, in the last five years of a church plant, we've hired um, African-American staff. Uh, 
he's, yeah, he's been working with a Latino pastor. I mean, he, he, it's, he's not, this is, this is his heart. So it's not like I gave him this. No, God gave him a heart for this. And, and so it, he's always, he's always had this desire for it. So it's, it's an encouraging thing that it was when I knew, okay, I'm in a place where God has been working and, and this is already the pastor's heart. Then my little work would just mostly be maybe filling in in on how I'm doing or giving him some kind of ideas, but he, he's all over it. So, (laughs) so it's just really, that's an encouraging place to be. It's not where everyone is. And so that's something I recognize. And I think, um, we just have to, yeah, I've learned a couple of things. I've learned a couple of things. Uh, I think in the last few years, one is you have to be careful in social media, how you word things. I think there's more damage done than good. I think unless you're really in a place to, to speak into any, and that's not just a race situation. I think that's, a free-for-all. And sometimes we can create, as a Christian, I think we have to be very guarded and spirit-led in what we say on social media, um, especially if it's not, if we're not sure that it's the right thing, you know, like, and I think I see it done in ways, like, I, th- I see white people saying things that are just not, they're just not good and right. And, and they're emotional and they're in a moment where, as you said before, it's, it's wrong and it just needs to be pulled back. And I think the other thing and, and by the way, if you're listening and you're a great, I mean, I think I'd love to hear your emails and send them in. But but I do think that we do damage to the kingdom of God by being impulsive. James 119, I mean, just be slow to speak, quick to hear. I mean, I think that is one thing that we've got to grow in. And and what you said earlier about revival, we desperately need individual revival. But I also would say this, Trillia, and I think, I think we'll all make mistakes. I think so. I think in my life, I look back, I remember the first time you and I met, I said something inadvertent that I have not stopped thinking about. And I... It was just, just said something about, you know, you're a fair-skinned black person. And I made a comment about it. And I remember you did, you know, you were sort of offended in a way. And I remember thinking, why did, was that a big deal? It was about eight or nine years ago. I think I wasn't that into oh, these. Wow. I know, can you believe the Spirit of God has continued to put that thought in my head? And I thought, Lord, I regret saying it. And I and it was ignorance. And I've grown, I feel, in some of those things where I just think, it wasn't intended to be evil. And I think so much of this conversation isn't intended to be evil, but is received yeah. in a way that is hurtful. And I think if the spirit of God is yeah. in us, nine years later, I still think about it. And I, and it was shaping oh. for me. And so all this to say, I think there's grace. God gives us grace, but also recognize we're all going to make mistakes, but ask for wisdom. God has promised to give it to us liberally. If you're listening in, you're like, man, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And then when you do overstep, sometimes God is going to correct us. That's what he does. So it really is an honor He's so to have to you. you on today. It really is. And I broke my 40-minute rule, but it's worth it. How can people reach you, Trillia? Uh, Tell us some sites. Well, well, before that, I just want to say I had I don't remember that time that you said whatever. And I'm not surprised though, that I would have said, shared why it would have been hurtful. But I will say this, God also gives us grace to move past. So we learn it and we move past. So I want, I want you to know that I hadn't thought a thing about it since. And by the grace of God, um, I, I, it hasn't hindered our friendship or, or at least communicating. Yeah. So I just, I, I, I'm thankful thankful for that. But for people to reach me, they can go to 
If you can spell my name, you can find me. My website is trillianewbell.com. So that's T-R-I-L-L-I-A-N-E-W-B-E-L-L.com. And then I'm on social media, Trillia Newbell. Everything that's is awesome. just Trillia Newbell because that's the easiest way. That's awesome. I mean, I need an easy name, Trillia. No one can ever find me. But um, I am going to give away a couple of Trillia's books. If you're listening and send me emails, uh, let's say the third email and the fifth email that come in. Uh, we'll give a kid's book first and then the United book second. Um, and just if you feel like you want the book and can't buy it and just want, you know, to get one, email me and pitch me your story and I'd love to hear it. Hey, this has been a great conversation. I'm going to wrap us up here. Thank you so much for having me That's on. That's so good. This is an important it conversation. It is, and it's just getting started. There's no way we can cover everything on this topic. So please send me questions if, if, you've, if they've come up of this conversation. We can have a follow-up conversation down the road. Hey, there is hope in Christ. You know that. I know that. He is our anchor. And so let us not lose sight of that. It's been great having you on the podcast. As usual, you can reach me at lena at livingwithpower.org. Have yourself an awesome day, and I'll catch you guys in the next podcast.